Welcome to the wonderful world of wine. We are your hosts, Mark Lindsay and Kim Simone, exploring all things wine with you. You can find us on Facebook at The Wonderful World of Wine. Hello again, everybody. Thank you for joining Kim and I today. We are here to talk all things wine with you. How are you, Kim? I'm good. How are you, Mark? Everything is great. Good. I'm so good excited to, hear. to uh, talk some wine today to our listeners. I think we always have a bunch of topics and trends to talk about. And first thing was an article I thought was very helpful for people. It's how basic wine characteristics can help you find your favorite wines. And this was our favorite uh, Wine Folly website, had some recommendations. And I was thinking, Kim, this is more like, how can you find uh, work on your profile to help you become a better wine buyer? Mm -hmm. So let's talk about these five things. The first was, they said, you should know what sweetness is. Right. And I think that's really important for anyone going shopping or out to dinner. Just this is one of those really, really basic wine lingo things that can get very confusing if you don't understand what it means in wine speak. Um, and the, the whole sweetness thing about wine can be, I think, confusing for people to taste it and understand that that is exactly what the sensation that is going on in their mouth is. Yeah. So this is the perception of sugar that's in the wine. And you always have one of the, my favorite educational quotes that you say on sweetness with your dry versus sweet thing. Can oh, you which just one is say this? I feel like I have so many little things about it. Your famous opposite line. Oh, <laughs> this one. Yes. <laughs> that it's sweet. Sweet is the opposite of dry. Sweet, uh, Dry is not the opposite of wet when it comes to wine. That one. There, there you go. <laughs> there you go. That's yeah. It. Wine speak. There we go. And everybody's perception of sweetness is different. I think this is one of the hardest thing as a, selling wine to people if someone you ask them you know what they drink and you think i think it's a sweet wine and they don't think it's sweet mm -hmm. you have to kind of have an idea of what your detection of sweetness is so you can tell people what you like and what you think is sweet it's right. very important right and it's not just a a sweetness threshold level because if you were to give say to two different people the same candy bar they would probably also have a similar difference of opinion as to how sweet is this particular piece of candy. So it's not just that your threshold might be different from someone else's as far as what is something that is too sweet for you or not sweet enough. But also I think it comes with experience drinking wine too, because wine isn't just like a sweet wine isn't just a wine with sugar in it. You know, there are all those other components that we find in every other wine as well like textural elements and acidity and, and things like that too. So your perception of, is this a sweet wine or not, really does depend on how experienced of a drinker or a taster you are as well. So being a foodie, Kim, is this is sweetness something in food that's talked about as much as it is with wine? 
I don't think so. Um, there so, are certain foods that do have natural sweetness to them. So if you were to roast carrots, you're going to get a sweeter dish than if you boiled those same carrots. Right. Or if you're using fruits or if you're using something like balsamic vinegar, which is very sweet, but people don't necessarily notice the sweetness first. You notice the acidity first. So I think when it comes to food, the sweetness is unless you're talking about fruit, or chocolate or dessert kind of thing. The sweet is not the primary flavor experience that you're going for. It may be there in a lot of dishes, but it kind of takes a back seat, especially when you're talking about savory things. Yeah, I just feel people with food, everybody's pretty much on the same level of what they think mm -hmm. is sweet. Whereas wine, everybody's all over the place. Kind of all over the place. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> So it's definitely important to understand what what you think is your sweet wine so you can describe what you like. Mm -hmm. The second thing they were talking about, Kim, was acidity. Know what acidity is and what you like for acidity to help you find your favorite wine. So what do you think is the key people should know to, to about acidity? So I, I think that a lot of people have difficulty recognizing when something is acidic. And the, the, the way that I like to describe it to people is if it makes your mouth water, that's the acid. Or if it gives you that little tingle right where your jaw hinges underneath your earlobes, if you get like that sort of funky little sensation back there, that's acidity. So if you have those physical sensations going on in your mouth, you are tasting something that is high acid. I also like to have people think about it in terms like lemon, you know, lemonade meat. So other words used to describe it like tart and zingy and zippy and like those kinds of vocabulary. But if it's something like that, that it makes your mouth water and it's refreshing, then that is absolutely uh, the acidity coming through. I like the uh, description you used there about recognizing it and the, the dry thing. To me, is if something's acidic, I take a sip, I want another sip because it makes me thirsty, mm. that type of thing. So, so it's refreshing it, to you because refreshing. you want to have another sip. Yeah, of it. crisp. And people say it's crisp or mm -hmm. what other terms would uh, bright. Oh, right? Yeah, there Things are so like many that. good ones. And a lot of them are very positive terms. Like there are some negative terms that we can associate with acidity. And I think in real life, when you're talking about acid, the word acid has negative connotations. You know, we think of like battery acid or something that will burn you or, you know, something bad. Yeah. But in wine... I feel like it's almost always a positive unless it's like way over the top. But usually the things that we describe as acidic when it comes to food and wine generally are, are much more positive. We talk about that fresh tomato that you've just picked from your garden and it, it's sweet, but it's also got that really wonderful tartness to it. That is positive acidity descriptions. So I think there are so many more of these positive things when it comes to, to fruit and uh, to food and drink. And compared to sweetness, more people probably tell you what sweetness level they like in a wine versus mm -hmm. saying, I want something acidic. Well, I'm looking for an acidic to, wine, right? We used I mean, to more eating and drinking things that are sweet versus yeah. eating and drinking things that are tart. Right, right. But as far as asking or I mm -hmm. think, you know, no one's really saying I want to, I want a super acidic wine, you know, except like, me, <laughs> yeah, geeks, the wine geeks, the wine geeks. All right. So next is saying tannins, learn tannins. And yeah. you talked about drying from acidity and tannins is definitely something that will dry 
your mouth. Yeah. Different areas of your mouth, depending on the tannins, but I love this conversation around the word dry because just like talked about with sweetness where dry is the opposite of sweet then you have this conversation of well tannins feel drying as well but it's a different kind of dry so this is kind of where it gets confusing i feel like for you know using wine lingo for explaining these sensations because here we have this word dry which has two different meanings within wine so not only is it the opposite of wet but it's the opposite of sweet. And then it also can describe this sensation of what tannins do to your mouth. So I think that the technical terms for this dryness of tannins are kind of moving away. People are using the word astringent a little bit more than drying. But, you know, I think about it, how a, you know, a big bulky red feels when you taste it. And yeah, there is that definite sensation on your tongue of, well, where did all my spit go? (laughs) Because this thing is really textural and it really literally feels like it kind of, you know, dry on your your tongue. Yeah. And people, are they probably describing if they like tannins in wine, they, they, they like something super dry or they like something that's super oaky or just something that's full bodied. You think mm-hmm. those are all encompassed into the same yeah, tanning group? Absolutely. And yeah. I think especially that um that conversation about body, like I like a big, full bodied red. Yeah, you're absolutely talking about tannins. I think sometimes people are incorporating the sensation of a higher alcohol wine into that description as well. But I think overall people are concerned about the tannins. Like ha- I want this, you know, big structured you know, big gulp of red wine. All right. And it's a good lead because the last two things were both body and alcohol. So let's talk about body. You mentioned it heavy, full Mm -hmm. Uh, body is basically the weight of the wine in your mouth. And and people look at me funny when I ask them about this. And and we always use that famous comparison to think about milk. Yeah. I I love this. That's what listeners need to key on. Learn what body of wine you like based on what milk you're drinking. Well, not necessarily. Is, he, well, is, is that how well, you describe it to people that like what kind? Well, what no, you- I not uh, what well, you like for milk, but the weight of the milk. Okay. All right. Yeah. So I'm not saying if you like skim milk, you're only going to like light bodied wine. <laughs> but if you drink skim milk, have yeah, I got a Pinot Grigio for you? <laughs> understand the weight of milk and compare it to the weights of bodies of wines. That's the easiest way to remember it. So a lot of people like that, you know, especially this time of year, they like that real light body, very lightweight wine because it's hot, it's warm, and they don't want something super, super heavy, which is would be a full-bodied wine. I don't so why don't you explain much... to our listeners the, you know, going up or down the scale of using dairy products as a comparison for lighter to fuller-bodied wines? Yeah, so lightweight would be skim milk, and then you'd work your way up to 1%, 2% would be a little bit more body, and then you get to like full body, which would be, you know, full milk, or is it whole milk, right? Whole milk. And then, you know, super, super body would be like cream. So the weight keeps increasing as you go up, mm. and you'll actually feel that in your mouth when you're holding you know, unlike a lot of people thinking, what do you mean you hold it in your mouth? You know, when you taste wine, you hold it in your mouth and you taste it. A lot of us just kind of gulp the wine and 
don't feel that way because it's just down our throat so fast, but hold it in your, your mouth for a little bit and feel it in your mouth, on your tongue, and you'll notice a weight difference on the wines. So in, you, in body, you can also probably look at the, the color tells you a lot about the body as well. Mm, that's so, a, yeah, that's a good one because I think people spend a little less time looking at the color of their wines unless they're going through an actual tasting progression. I think the, um, you know, the color can get lost a little bit. That's a good thing to say about people don't, if you don't do a tasting or understand these terms, you can't relate it to what you like because you're not used to saying body or tannins Mm -hmm. or sweetness because you don't identify them maybe the right way because you just enjoy drinking wine. Right. And I think that that's a good point to bring up when we're talking about aromas of wine too, because if you're just a casual wine drinker, you know, you're concerned with the taste, you know, you don't sit around swirling your glass and sticking your nose in there. So we talk so much about aroma of wine, but I know that there are vast numbers of just casual wine drinkers who want to have a glass every once in a while and smelling the wine is not something that they would think of doing or are used to doing. Right. And, and these things are just to help you you go someplace and they don't have what your wine is that you like or they never heard of it then you can use these five other things to say you know this is what else i like for sweetness for acidity for tannins for body and then the last thing they mentioned kim was alcohol mm-hmm. and how would you say if if someone i'm trying to think how to would you ask the question so someone says i like this wine i don't really say what alcohol is it because no. i think I'm, I'm kind of already relating it to a certain range yeah and i think this I'll, is where it comes down to grape variety and style you know if someone tells you that they like california cabs you kind of know that they're already in that 13 to 15 percent alcohol range or you know if they like malbec or if they like one of those other fuller bodied reds yeah, or if they say, I like fortified wines, I'm, I'm a port drinker, you don't have port, what would you recommend? You mm-hmm. probably don't want to give them something that's very low in alcohol because right. they probably wouldn't even taste it. Yeah. <laughs> and, and there's a, you know, people are not really looking at the alcohol when they're buying. So if they're saying, I like a certain Pinot Grigio, or you say like a California Cab, we already kind of know what range that it's in. If they say, I like Italian Pinot Grigio, you know, it's a, probably a lower alcohol wine. Mm-hmm. And I wouldn't recommend them to a California version because it's probably a percent more and they probably wouldn't like it just so for the alcohol. This is where the value of the person who is working in that store or is serving you at that restaurant comes in because folks like yourself, Mark, have a lot of experience with all of these different kinds of wines out there. So if shoppers come in and say, hey, I like this and this, that already gives you so many clues as to what else they might like. So if our listeners are not familiar with any of these five that we just talked about, Kim, what would you say of the five is the key one you might want to know to help you find your your profile or your favorite wines of all the five? I think um, we don't bring up here reds versus whites. And I think that right. is a, you know, a big differentiator. So yeah. I, I think I would probably land on the tannin one because Tan- that right there is going to give you so much information, whether they are white wine drinkers versus red wine drinkers. And then also, you know, if they like lighter tannin wines, Pinot Noirs versus something like those, you know, cabs or Malbecs. So I think that if we're talking about the entire spectrum of wine, that probably the the tannin one is really important. But I also think that the 
the sugar question is also important, but I think there's yeah. less of a range. Like there's fewer sweet wines out there than there are that fall into all of these other categories. Yeah. Well, the trend, it seems like there's more sweetness. The trend over the years seems like wines are being made a little bit sweeter and sweeter, mm. but uh, you're right. I, I To me, I think it's sweetness, but it depends if you're a red drinker, it's tannin. You, so you're, you're absolutely right on that, I feel. You're listening to The Wonderful World of Wine, and we're your hosts, Mark and Kim. You can find more information about Mark at his website, franklinliquors.com, and more information about myself at vinitaswineworks.com. And as always, you can find us on Facebook at The Wonderful World of Wine. So as our regular listeners know, uh, every once in a while, Mark and I like to jump into the geeky, sciencey side of wine, uh, myself especially. And we happened upon a really interesting article on a topic that I find fascinating uh, from a website called sciencealert.com. And it's the psychology of the pricing of wine. And do consumers feel like they are getting a better bottle of wine if they think that the wine costs more or vice versa. Do they think that they're getting less, you know, a less good bottle of wine if they think it costs less money? They titled it. Yeah. Cheap wine really does taste better if you increase the price tag. And, <laughs> and we always go back and forth. It's, there's never a cheap wine. It's an inexpensive, inexpensive. wine, right? So uh, that happens a lot. People say, I'm looking for a cheap wine. I say, I sell <laughs> No cheap wine. We have inexpensive wines, and we can help you with that. So anyway, the the start off the story, Kim. It's it's a science and psychology thing, and I always love hearing feedback on pricing, how people think of this, and mm -hmm. it leads to many more questions for you. They start with a story where some group is in a restaurant, they order like the most expensive wine on the list. Someone messes up and gives them like the least expensive wine on the list, and they loved it, right? I mean, everybody's like, wow, this is a $2,000 wine. It tastes great. And oh, sorry, we served you an $18 wine. So psychologically, they were thinking they were drinking a $2,000 wine, right? right? So they did a story, a study in Switzerland, I believe it was, of 140 people. And I thought it was very ingenious what they did, Kim. Do you want to tell the listeners about the study that sure. brought up this? So they, they had all these people together and they weren't necessarily telling them what this experiment was involving. So they were given a certain number of glasses of wine. I think it was like three or six. And then they were supposed to taste them uh, and they were supposed to taste them in a certain order. And then early mentioned to that the people who were doing the tasting knew what the cost of the wine was, but they just sort of like left the bottles on the table with price tags on them. And some of them were correct and some of them were incorrect, but it was different for everyone. You know, sometimes all of the, the wine labels um, had the right prices on them. Other times, two of them were incorrect. So they were trying to gauge how people's perceptions of the wines changed based on how expensive they thought they were. So for the wines that were um, not expensive, but had a higher price tag, people were enjoying them more. They didn't necessarily 
describe them any differently than they did when they thought that that wine cost less money, but they were, you know, just sort of saying in their notes that, that, that they liked it more, you know, that they thought that this was a more enjoyable glass of wine. So it wasn't necessarily that they had, that they found objective differences between them based on what the cost was, but just that, you know, they thought they thought it was tastier. Yeah. And then they actually have ones where they hid the prices and they got the same feedback of the ones that they knew the price. So there was mm-hmm. like this price manipulation, moving things around to get feedback on, you know, what people thought of it. So, I mean, just, it psychs you out in any time. I'm not sure this happens to you, Kim, but when you taste a wine or someone gives you a wine, do you want to know the price before you taste it or after? I kind of want to know. React? You want to know up front, <laughs> I kind of right? want to know. Yeah. Um, I don't see, mind being in a situation where I don't know. You know, it's. I feel like it's kind of a, um, not a test, but a challenge. Yeah. You know, it's like a little academic challenge for, well, for when me. Well, when we're guests at someone's house and they serve us a wine and we don't have, it's just, you know, they serve you a red in a glass. You never see the bottle. You don't ask the price, right? No. You don't. You either going to drink it and like it. And if you really like it, you might say, hey, what was that wine? But you, you really don't get to that price right away. So that brings up where I was kind of going as a buyer of wine. And when we buy wine, I right away ask the price. And people a lot mm-hmm. of times try to hide the price from you because they think they're going to blow you away and right. you're going to love it. And then you're going to say, oh, it's a great value. I want to know the price because I feel when I taste the wine, I know if it's a good or a bad wine or mm-hmm. something I could sell or not sell. So I need to know the price because I want to know if it's going to fit in or not. And, but then I'm thinking, geez, maybe by science, it's messing me up. You know what I mean? If I know it's it's expensive and I taste it and I like it, I'm thinking, yeah, because it's expensive, right? Mm-hmm. But but over the years, the more and more I taste, the more I just care if it's a good tasting wine. Yeah. And it doesn't, but I think, I think also for you in the situation you are in as a wine buyer, you need to know price because you have to put it in context because you're not just tasting that in order to find a good wine or a less good wine. You're buying it or tasting it for a specific reason. You know, you need to know, is this going to fit in my store? And so, I mean, if you taste a bottle of wine that retails for, I don't know, 75 bucks, and you don't have a place for another $75, you know, whatever, then it doesn't really matter how good it is. You could be like, oh, this wine is amazing. Right. I can't, I don't have room for it. Like, I don't have a, right. a spot for it. So, yeah. you know, it, you, it, you need that information in order to make, you know, smart business decisions. And I tell you a lot of times, I think it's opposite of what I think. And what I mean by that is someone will give me a wine, it's an expensive wine and I'll taste something. Like, you know what? that's not worth $75. Mm-hmm. And I wouldn't sell that. I try to sell that to someone as a $75 wine because I don't feel it tastes like a $75 yeah. wine. Whereas the other way I'll taste something and they'll say, oh, it's a $10 bottle. And I'm like, holy cow, this is a great wine for $10, right? And it's more that and disappointed in the expensive stuff to me. But is that so- because you have maybe lesser expectations for that less expensive wine? I, you know, I think more, it's like you're always looking for that holy grail of wines for people to make, to satisfy everybody and get good value. 
and when you find it, it's like it, it really sticks out more. You, when when someone's showing you all expensive wines, you're thinking it should be, it should be that quality of wine. So I, I just it's so interesting how when we ask price, when we don't ask price, and how people think you shouldn't know it before you taste it because you're already going to make an opinion on it. So and everybody's different. Everybody's different that way. When you were tasting for restaurants, did you say, show me only, say, $20 bottles? Or you, you, you taste them, then you figured out the price, right? I mean, yeah. And, yeah. and we tended to taste menu? by like groups of things. Yeah. So, you know, if we needed a particular, I don't know, California Chardonnay, we would only taste things that were California Chardonnays, but within a particular price point because that had a particular spot on the wine list. So we might have already been full up of things that would go for like 50 to $75, but maybe we needed something that was 100 or maybe we needed something that was 40 So it didn't make sense necessarily to, to taste things in another price category because we just didn't have a spot for them. Right. And, and that's a key thing you mentioned there too, Kim, for our listeners. When you're in a restaurant or a store, if you tell someone what you like and you're, what you're looking for... You should be offered that range. You know, mm-hmm. it's like, Absolutely. okay, well, well, let's start. What's, what's your price point? I'll show you. Here's a $10. Here's a $15. Here's a $20. And this is a $30. So it's the selection. So maybe you want to go up one or it, unfortunately, you might have to go down one. Mm-hmm. So, but they should still be able to match your, you know, description of what you like to a price range. But I think it's, sometimes it is difficult for people to talk about cost and price and and what they feel comfortable spending. Um, I know that this is something we talk about a lot when it comes to sales and how to, you know, how to be good at making a sale. You don't want to make anybody feel embarrassed or uncomfortable in a setting where they're trying, you know, they want to buy something and, you know, maybe they can't afford that $20 bottle of wine. Right. Exactly. Um, and you're only showing them things that are 20 and above, you know, that puts them in an uncomfortable position where then maybe they're going to walk out and not buy anything at all. But I also want consumers to know that there's nothing wrong with buying that less expensive bottle. And sometimes when we are surprised by the quality of something that maybe is coming in at $10 a bottle, or maybe a little under $10 or a little over 10, we are just as excited (laughs) to find those wines because it means that a whole range of people that maybe aren't going to buy anything under 15, there's something else in that, you know, in that category that we're like, yay, you know, this is a really good value. We love finding those good value wines, but you know, there's nothing wrong with having that be the price point that you are drinking wine in. There's good stuff out there at, at many price points. And, you know, sometimes when, like you were saying, you're maybe you're over at somebody's house and you have a glass of wine and you're like pleasantly surprised, like, oh, this is you know really good. And then you find out that it's like not very expensive and it's like win. <laughs> like, right. I love, I love that. It's like it's easy to make a really good $45 bottle of wine. Right. It's not really easy to make something with layers and complexity and a lot of good flavor at 10 bucks a bottle. So when you find those, it's a real, you know, I feel like it's a it's a real win. Yeah, a lot of great points there. And and I think one of the things when you're shopping for wine, if, especially if it's a gift, try to, you know, take advice. One of the things I say is if it's a gift, you want to stay away from something where someone automatically can 
find the price point or knows the price point. So something that's around everywhere. There's a lot of wine out there, Kim, like you said. And one of the things I'll do is I say, you know, it's a gift. This is in the same price point that you're looking at. This is something that's not as well, you know, found. So people can't automatically, when you give it to them, say, oh, wow, Kim gave me a cheap $10 bottle today, <laughs> right? They it, they might have to do some digging to find it. And, and I'll tell you what, I'm banking that they like it because I recommended it. So there's a lot of other things I'll say, you know, this is why I recommend this wine as a gift. You can tell them this story, you know, we're always about the story behind the wine. It's mm -hmm. a, it's a woman winemaker or it's this, or this is that. So yeah, there's a lot to it, but beyond the, the price. So, but I, I think it's interesting every, you know, when you tell people, and we talked about this when we do wine tastings. We'll hold hold wine tastings where we're tasting expensive wines, right? And sometimes you get more turnout when you're tasting the least expensive wines. And I think based on that, I pricing, it, it always interests me how people think. Like if I'm looking to taste, you know, I would think, wow, a lot of people are more interested in going for that real expensive stuff, you know? But mm -hmm. it, it's really people look at, I guess, like you said earlier, what they can go with every day, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, so that was just- And I think there's also the approachability factor. Yeah. Like if you have a less expensive wine, I don't know if it's expectation, but I feel like if all you're tasting is things that are price points, multiple price points higher than that, the expectation of, oh, I need to perform my wine tasting ritual to a certain degree better because this- wine with this pedigree requires that I, you know, do more swirling and sniffing and make more notes and stuff like that. Where if it's, it's something that's a little more of an everyday kind of wine, there's less of that, you know, there's less of, this is a wine that needs to be taken way more seriously. And, and I think that there is something very appealing about those, the sort of the simplicity of everyday wines, not saying that all everyday wines are simple, but they're, they kind of have less baggage attached to them than some right. of these, you know, more expensive, smaller production kind of things. Yeah. Just like everyone's sweetness level, everyone's everyday wine is different <laughs> too, based I on like that. a lot of things. So, Thank you for joining us today on The Wonderful World of Wine. We've been your hosts, Kim Simone and Mark Lindsay. You can find us all the time on Facebook. Our Facebook page is The Wonderful World of Wine. Our past episodes are on SoundCloud and iTunes. And as always, please feel free to leave us your questions and comments on our Facebook page. Wine, wine.